But today, we're going to start kind of an unofficial two-week series. And this is just going to last this week and next week. And I've called this series Uncontainable. So if you have a Bible, go ahead to the book of 2 Chronicles. It's way back there in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles. I'll put a lot of verses up on the screen today, but 2 Chronicles is where the main verse comes from. Today is really meant to be a celebration, a kickoff of something new for us as new community. And I want you to know this. This is going to be a good season. At the end of today's service, we have a couple folks that are going to be baptized in this trough right here. That's right. It's a horse trough, a cow trough, a horse from my family, cow maybe from your family. It's open to interpretation. All right. We're going to baptize some folks. We're 10 weeks away from Easter, and if you've not been a part of New Community, you need to know Easter is our biggest party of the year, and we're going to party like crazy this year, and I want you to be ready because it's going to be a fun few weeks, but to get you in the mood of celebration today, because some of you, I know, how many of you have had a week? Like, it's been a week. You're too tired to raise your hand. I get it, 11 a.m. I want to teach you a song to help you get in celebration mood today. Now, this is not a guitar song. This is not a song that Josh will probably ever sing on Sunday mornings, but it is a song, and as I started thinking about this series, Uncontainable, I thought this song made some sense for us, because it's a song that I remember when I was like middle school age. How many middle schoolers in the room? Raise your hands. Youth is going to kick off next week, by the way. Um, Middle schoolers look like they had a week too. (laughs) Don't ask me to raise my hand. That's just my family. But as we, as we start this, when I was in middle school, I learned this song at like some church camps. This is, this is going to show you how nerdy I was, but this is the song that I learned. And I want to teach it to you, and then we're going to all participate together to get us in the celebration mood, okay? That was a question you get to answer, okay? It's going to be a long sermon. Okay, good. Here we go. Put the, go ahead and put the lyrics up, Mike. I think we got the next, next slide there. Here, here's what it says. Keep going. Keep going. There you go. Here's how it goes. If I had a little white box to put my Jesus in, I'd take him out and hug his neck and show him to my friends. I, simple, okay? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mom. Okay, so let's all try this together. Just that verse. No, go back. Go back to the last slide. Go back to the last. There we go. Here we go. One, two, three. If I had a little white box to put my Jesus in. It's very country. I'd take him out and hug his neck and show him to my friends. Good. Now, the part I didn't tell you is there's a second verse, so we got to sing again. Go ahead to the next slide. Everything changes here. If I had a little black box to put the devil in, I'd take him out, put him back in. Some of you wanted to yell. You just were like, are we doing this? Are we going there? Now, I learned that song at camp, and I want to ask, isn't that the dumbest song you've ever heard? Like, I learned that song, and I remember well teenagers screaming that song and thinking it was super fun. Middle schoolers, church has come so far. We've made progress, okay? But I thought it was fun, and you smiled when we sang it, so you're just as dumb as the song, right? It's so dumb, and you know why it's dumb? Because at no point, in no way, in no place, and at no time have we ever been able to put Jesus or God in a box. He is absolutely uncontainable. Uncontainable. You can remove those lyrics. They're really theologically bad, too. But here's the thing, as uncontainable as God is, as uncontainable as Jesus is, many of us, many of you in this room, myself included, live our lives like God exists in a box that we have created for him. Many of us act like we can put God in a box. We live as if God exists only in our box, like he's close to certain parts of our lives, but then separate from other parts. We tend to function as if God might have a role for our life, but not for all the parts. 
of our life. Now, I know in this room, there are people at every point of the spiritual spectrum. Some of you are here, you're a guest, maybe you're just checking us out for the first day, you're kind of seeing what's going on here, or you're spiritually curious. And some of you are here and you would say, I am not a follower of Jesus. And I just want to say to you, take the pressure off because I'm glad you chose to be here. I hope that you find some answers to some questions. I hope that you continue exploring. But I want you to know this. I want to tell you something about this. Whether you're atheist or agnostic or super confused or spiritually curious, or if you've been a Christian your whole life, you were in Sunday school when you were in the womb. Some of you were. I want you to know wherever you are spiritually, this is a great place. This is a safe place. It's a community where you can explore the spiritual life. But... I also bet that I know something about you today, even if you'd say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, even if you would say that, I bet that somewhere along the line in your life, you took God, you took your perception of God, your conceptions of God, and you placed God in a box. And I bet that that box that you put God in had something deeply personal to do with your life. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you're here, you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you would go to the point where you would say this, God doesn't exist. You would say, this is the box. God does not exist. And you would say that because he didn't show up when you needed him most in your life. Some of you are here and you would say, you know what? There may be a God, but God doesn't love. God is not love because too many people in my past hurt me along the way whether it was dad, whether it was mom, whether it was neighbors, whether it was friends and people around you, you would say, I don't believe that God is love because too many people have hurt me. And that's the box you've placed God in. Some of you would say, well, there may be a God. He may have some love, but God is not active anymore. God's more like the the old man in the rocking chair that got up one day and started spinning the globe and everything got moving. And then he sat back down. He's not active. He's not at work because when I needed him most, he let me down. When I was going through that thing, when I was walking through that circumstance, when I lost that person that was so close to me and they were sick and and God didn't do anything, God let me down, he cannot be active. You see, for many of us, many of us, we try to place God in a box because we have felt let down by God, we felt no love from God, and often that keeps us, those things keep us far from God. God. It keeps us spiritually distant. But then there are those of you here who would say, you know what? I am a Christ follower. I am trying to walk with God. I want God to be a part of my life. But I want to say this to you, Christians in the room. We have just as much placed God in a box as well. See, non-Christians, those who are not following Christ might say, I'm putting God in a box that keeps him distant. Christians put God in a box that keeps him safe. We would say, God, you can be a part of my life, but, but I've got these boxes that I want you to, to, to fall into. Let me give you some examples of these boxes. Here's the first one. Comfort. Comfort. We have a Christian box of comfort. God, you can be a part of my life, but I still want to grow up and make a lot of money. I still want to live my life. I want to be hashtag blessed. I want to have good kids that grow up morally righteous. I want to send them out into the world, and they need to make a lot of money too. And then when I turn 65, 58, 38. (laughs) I'm going to retire and I'm going to go live in one of those communes in Florida. And God, you can be a part of my life there too, but I better have all that I need to get there. Comfort is really important. Some of us take God and we put him in in a compartmentalization box. Do you know what I mean by that? 
Carrie, my wife, she, she, if we go to a, a covered dish dinner, if we ever have a covered dish dinner, here you guys can study her because this is so true. Bring plates that don't have dividers and she won't eat. I told him the right thing. I'm preaching the sermon, okay? So that's what I just said. I said, if you all bring plates that don't have dividers, she won't eat. Can, is it okay if I move on? Can I talk about Jesus? Is that, you want to be baptized now? <laughs> she won't eat if there aren't dividers on the plates right okay so we go to Bob Evans and I order their breakfast that has everything in the egg bowl and I stir it around and she's almost puking the entire time like why would you do that but many of us are living our spiritual lives wanting the same compartmentalization God you can be in my life but not my romance God, you can be in my life, but don't touch my money. God, you can have a part in my life, but just this little corner where I store the green beans. God, it's the compartmentalization box. Some of us have a box for God that relates to our worldviews. So we want to follow Jesus. We want to go after Jesus. But if you tell me that my worldview is wrong, my politics, my philosophy, the way I approach the rest of the world, then God, I'm not sure you're going to fit. Many of us have God in that box. We have God in the box of limitations when it comes to our finances. God, I, I know you want to show up in my life, but you really can't bail me out of this financial mess. I just don't think you can do it. God, you can work in my life, but I'm not sure that you really do miracles, and I don't know how you're going to handle that. See, we have these boxes that we put God in. And for every single one of us, no matter where we find ourselves on the spiritual spectrum, for every one of us, we have certain places, certain areas of our life where we have tried to box God in. And we might want to, like the song says, take him out and hug his neck, but we surely want to put him back in the box. For the next couple of weeks, I want to invite you to not only take the lid off your box, but to actually destroy the box because God himself has always been uncontainable. Now, I, I'm going to go for just a minute because there's good news in the scriptures about this for you. The, the reality is every human being in every part of the world at every place in time has always tried to box God in. And for centuries, God has been working to blow the expectations of humanity away and take the lid off our boxes. Historically, in the scriptures, we see a people of God, the Jewish people, who tried to box God in consistently. Now, let me ask this. How many of you have ever tried to read the Bible front to back? Like you got to January 1st, you were like, New Year's resolution, I'm starting in Genesis, going all the way to Revelation. And you got, how many of you got to Leviticus, where your dreams started to die? And then you got numbers, and you were like, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't, maybe the Koran will work. Like, you, you've, you've been there, right? If you were to press past those first five books that are known as the Torah, you would come to a book called Joshua. And Joshua picks up in the story where the Israelites have been living in slavery in Egypt and Moses rescues them and, and through God's power leads them out of slavery and into the wilderness. And then Joshua picks up the story as their new leader, taking them into the promised land. And as soon as they get into the promised land, which by the way, the whole journey, they were going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? For 40 years, that's what Moses had to listen to. Parents? Uh-huh. Okay, so he leads them into the promised land, and when they get into the promised land, the Israelites, the people of God who've been rescued from slavery, look at God and go, hey, we want a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. God, we heard politics are really fun. We heard that people really get along well when that happens, so give us a king like all the other nations. And God says, you don't need a king. You have me. 
And they said, yeah, we get that theology, but we want a king. Give us a king. And God hands them a king, King Saul, who was literally described in the scriptures as tall, dark, and handsome. And he lasts for a little while, and then he begins to reject God. And God replaces him with Israel's most famous king ever, King David, who's described in the Old Testament as a man after God's own heart. He's a man that when God looked at him, he said, he has the heart of God. He has something that, that, that I see and I love. And what he says is, I want to dwell with you. This is what God says to the people. Now, you need to understand something. And many of you are already lost. Like You're like, this is too much history. Stay with me. I promise it will relate to your life. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, God would travel with them. They knew the presence of God was with them. They would set up something called a tabernacle. And when the tabernacle would go up, God's presence would come inside this tabernacle and the priest could go meet with God. And so David thinks about this. And as they settle and they begin to build the city of Jerusalem, David says this in 2 Samuel. He says, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now see, the ark of God was the place where God's presence dwelt, and wherever the ark went, the Israelites followed. So David says, I want to build a place for God. I want to build a temple, a permanent tabernacle, a place where we can come to as the people of God, and we can know that God will always be there. Does this sound like church at Audrey's? When we show up to the building, God will meet with us. Now watch what God says through his prophet. In 2 Samuel verse 5 of chapter 7, he says, Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. You know what God's saying? David, I don't sleep indoors. I don't sleep in the places where you think you can put me. I will not be boxed in. And then David goes on in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, verse 2. He says, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you're not to build a house for my name because you're a warrior and have shed blood. And then on down, he turns to his son Solomon. And he says, you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. Serve him with wholehearted devotion, with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And then David says, consider now, for the Lord has chosen you, Solomon, to build a house as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. So David looks to his son and he says, you're the one that's going to build a house for God. So if you read the beginning of Second Chronicles, what you'll find is incredible detail about all the furnishings that went into the temple, all the things that Solomon began to do and began to build. And then we come to 2 Chronicles 6, and I wanted to preach the whole chapter, but you guys would get mad if I went that long. Because Solomon stands up and he prays this prayer of dedication to the temple, and God's presence shows up. But look at verse 18. Here's what Solomon says, even as he stands in the temple that he's built for God. He says, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I've built? You see, Solomon understands in this holy moment, I have built God a temple, and God's presence has entered into the temple, but God will not be contained by this temple. And for centuries, this began to define the Jewish relationship to the temple. See, they had, they had assumptions about the temple. Let me give you a couple of these. One, they believed the temple was the dwelling place of God on earth. 
That if you went into the temple, you were going into the place where God lived because God's presence made the temple a place that was set apart. See, the Jews believed that God was approachable anywhere. You could be in your house and you could pray to God, you could talk to God, you could approach God. But when you showed up to the temple, God was especially present. They also believed that when you looked at the temple, the temple was a picture, it was a a creative space, it was an artistic space that represented all of heaven and all of earth. It was the place where God was present with humanity again, just as he had been with Adam and Eve. So when you walked into the outer courtyard of the temple and, and, and the outer space, they thought that's like earth, that's the place where we live. And then the closer you get to where the high priests go, where the Ark of the Covenant is, the Holy of Holies, that's like heaven and we're we're moving towards that. They believed that their basins of water, they called them the seas. The bronze sea held a thousand gallons of water. They said that's like the oceans that God created. There were seven lamps in the temple that were representative of the seven visible planets that they could see at that time. There was a veil, a curtain for the holy of holies, gold and purple, showing the nature of the universe. The high priests wore robes, which I would love to have a robe like this. If you gave me a preacher's robe like this, I'd wear it. And it was covered with ornamental decorations. Of the, I'm kidding. I won't ever wear that. I saw your faces. You were like, I'm getting a robe. But it was representative of all of creation. See, they believed the temple was a picture of what heaven and earth were really supposed to be like. They also believed that the temple was the only place, the sole place, where you could go and sacrifice animals, worship to be made right with God. They believed that when God had separated himself from Adam and Eve because of sin, that what was, what was made wrong there could be made right at the temple. But I want you to understand this tension. The temple was God boxed in. All eyes here, because I'm about to come back to your world. Let me give you an example of this. How many of you love snakes? Okay, so there were four of you. There was one in the first service, so this illustration's not gone well this morning. A boa constrictor, on average, will grow to be about 13 feet long out in the wild. The the largest have been about 18 feet. I know some of you are, this is awful, I'm leaving. But when a boa constrictor is raised in captivity, when it's confined, when it's boxed in, they will only grow to be about six to eight feet long. Scientists ask the question, why? Why are they smaller in captivity? And what they found is that when a snake is in the wild, there are no limitations And that the boa constrictor actually grows in proportion to the container where it resides. Now, can I bring this home to you? In the same way, when you limit your experience of God, when you place expectations on who God is, when you constrain your relationship with him to the expectations you've placed on him, you're missing out on the fullness of who God is. The temple gives us this picture. For the Jews, the entire construct was a box they were placing on God. They would say, if we go to the temple, we can meet with God. If we know the rules and regulations of the temple, we can get close to God. If we follow the rules and regulations of the temple, then we can please God. Aren't you glad that we've moved so far past that? See, so many of us think, if I go to church then maybe God will be happier with me. If I go to church two or three times a month, then God might even bless me. If I raise my kids in church, then God will protect them and everything will be okay. See, we're boxing God in. 
But there's good news because when Jesus comes to this world, this first century world filled with the Jewish religion and a humanity that understands God as approachable and dwelling only in the temple where he's boxed in, Jesus shows up and here's what the writer of John says about him. I love this translation. It says this in John 1:14. the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Eugene Peter, the writer of the message says he, God moved into the neighborhood He showed up, and he set up a different kind of tabernacle. And then he says, and we actually, we actually saw his glory. See, when it was in the temple, only the priests could see his glory. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. All the people had to trust that his presence was there. John says, Jesus shows up, and we actually get to see his glory. See, for the Jews in the desert, they believed God dwelt in the tabernacle. When the temple was built, they believed it was the permanent tabernacle where God would reside. And John writes, Jesus is setting up a new tabernacle where his glory is present. I I think we could show it like this. Go ahead to the next next slide, Mike. We, We would talk about when God created earth, heaven and earth were actually very close together. God's presence dwelt among Adam and Eve. God interacted with them. There was this overflow of heaven and earth, but sin entered the world and separated that presence. So no longer did we have God's presence close and felt among us. And the Jews' effort to build a temple, next slide, was all about creating a place where some of that presence could be regained. So there was heaven and there was earth, but if you got to the temple and you made things right with God, then you could reconnect with God's presence. And Jesus shows up, and like he always does, he begins to mess it all up. Because when Jesus comes, he says, no, 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 no. Heaven is actually on earth. The kingdom of God is actually close. The kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. And don't miss it, because I have actually brought heaven down to earth, and it's so overflowing that you're going to experience some of it. See, Jesus wasn't just opening the temple or the presence of God. What's the first thing that happens when Jesus dies? Remember the curtain? It tears, and the presence of God goes out into the world. He was actually living out the kingdom of God. They said, how do we pray, Jesus? How do we pray? Teach us to pray. And he says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let heaven invade earth. He was pouring out heaven in all places of the earth because it was uncontainable. And Solomon knew this, right? Hundreds of years before when he prayed that, will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens can't contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Now, here's where you're going to care about this message. What does this mean for your life? Why am I talking about this? I would give you this principle today, and then I want to break this down for you. Let me give you this principle first. If God isn't living up to your expectations, Maybe it's time to change your expectations of him. I I, want to challenge you with this. I want to encourage you with this because all of those boxes that we talked about, God is not active, God doesn't exist, God is not love, God can fit in my compartments, God can, can fit in my expectations. All of those boxes that we talk about are expectations of God. And I want to say to you, if God isn't meeting up, living up to your expectations, it doesn't mean you put God aside. It means maybe it's time to take God out of the box and change your expectations of him. So, so let me give you a couple things here as I start to wind down. Number one, what can we expect from God? If I'm telling you, change your expectations of God, then, then what can you expect? Here, here's what I would say. Number one, you can expect God to stay true to his character. 
When you read the scriptures, when you look at how God defines himself, how God describes himself, you have every right. You have every ability, every authority to go to God and say, you said this is who you are, and I'm expecting you to stay true to it. Exodus 34, when Moses asked God, what's your name? This is what God says. He's got a long name, by the way. It says he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, I'm the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, watch these characteristics, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So friends, listen, don't miss this. When you expect God to stay true to his character and you're praying for that person who's broken, You're praying for that spouse that doesn't know Jesus. You're praying for that family member that you're longing to see healed and restored. You can say, God, I know you're loving. God, I expect you to be loving. God, I know you forgive. God, I know that you're merciful and and, and you're compassionate and you're gracious. So God, be true to that. We can expect that. And when you surrender, by the way, to God's character, you're going to find more comfort than you've ever known. Here's the second thing that I think we can expect from God. We can expect his will to be accomplished. We can expect that God will do what he says he's going to do. In the scriptures, we can expect that of God. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Now, I lost most of the first service at that point because some of them were like, no, no, God is slow. I've been praying for something for years. Amen? None of you want to admit it. Okay. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, and then watch his defense of this. Instead, he's patient with you. Oh, I like when scripture's funny. No, he's patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you need any sense that God is patient, look at your life and look at the fact that you're still here. You're still breathing. God hasn't taken you out. Remember when Bill Cosby was funny? I brought you into the world. I can take you out. That's what God says, right? I'm patient with you so we can expect his will to be accomplished. God is the author of our faith, but he's also the perfecter. He's patient. He's working on you even now to bring you to the fullness of who he is. He is not finished. If you're here today, God has something to say to you. And then the third thing that I think we can expect, we can expect God to work on our behalf. We can expect God to be working behind the scenes and sometimes visibly on our behalf. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We sing about that, right? All things work together for the good. But here's the catch. It's not good as you understand it all the time. Some of you think, I want my good. I don't know about God's good. But he says, I will work for the good. And God gets to define goodness. Are you good with that? Not always. C.S. Lewis, in his great books, The Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote about the God character, Aslan the lion. And one of the children asks the char- another character, is that lion safe? And the character says, no, he's not safe. Safe? No, he's not safe. But he's good. He's good. He can be trusted. So we can expect those things. We can expect that God will stay true to his character, that he he will accomplish his will, and that he will work on our behalf. But i got to flip this really quickly before I close and say, what can we not expect from God? What can't you expect from God? I would say this, first of all. You cannot, we cannot expect God to give us everything we want or to give it in the way that we want it. No amens on that. Nobody's excited about that. 
We can't expect that of God, but we try to. God, if, I, God, if you'll get me through this test, then I'll do all that I've told you I'm going to do. I promise. I know I said the same thing last week, but I mean it. Get me through this test. We can't expect that. For five years, Carrie and I prayed, God, give us that Bill Kelly building. That's a campus for a church. And they tore it down. We prayed for a couple years before that. God, that steakhouse would be amazing. God, that would be an incredible space for a church. God, what are you going to do? They tore it down. See, I have found more times than not that my expectations, the way I want things down the road, I realize they never would have worked. It never would have happened. See, if God were to show you, here's what I know. If God were to look at you and say, here, I'm going to show you the next 20 years of your life right now. Are you ready? Boom. You'd freak out. You would run out the door right now. And this is why, this is why the writer of the Psalms, praise God, direct my footsteps according to your word. He doesn't say, God, show me the rest of my life. God, show me where I'm supposed to be 15 years now. Show me who I'm going to marry. Show me where I'm going to work. Show me all this stuff. He says, just show me one step at a time. Just show me a footstep, and I'll follow that. We can't expect God to give us everything we want or the way we want it. Number two, we can't expect him to move on our timeline. Man, I thought you guys might amen some of these. Friends, God is not on your clock, and aren't you glad? Type A people in the room, look at me. This is time. God is not on your clock. So if a sermon goes a little long, it's all right. God's not on our clock. And we're so glad. See, I think God shows up in a waiting room and he's like, this is my favorite place. The waiting room's okay. It's okay to be here. It's okay to hang out. It's okay to just listen and talk and interact. He is not moving on our timeline. The third thing, we can't expect God to give in to us because he would cease to be God if he did. God has his will. He will accomplish his will. And when he gives in to your way of doing things, he ceases to be what theologians call omniscient, all-knowing. God is all knowing. So as we close, let me, let me just talk to you very briefly as individuals and a church. First, church, new community. Listen, we are celebrating today. I know we kind of did this last week. This is official. We'll keep celebrating next week too. You got to just deal with it. We're in a new space and I keep getting the sense that there's this new energy. There's this new excitement in life as we finally feel like we have a home, a good home. It's incredible. You guys need to know the owner of the building was here for our service last week, and we watched as we circled and prayed and dedicated this building. He stepped out. He told me, he said, I had to leave. I was too emotional. We love that. Love what God is doing. But I don't want us to ever lose sight of the same tension that Solomon felt, that God is not and will not be contained to this building. That every time you leave this building, God goes with you. You are the presence of God. Paul would say, you're a temple. Your body is a temple for the work of Christ. So we pray and we dedicate this space, but friends and church, don't lose sight of what God wants to do through you and in you in this world. Now, for the individuals, I want to ask you a question as we start to close. What and where do you need to shift your expectations of God? Where do you need to shift your expectations of God? Because you know what? You know what happens when you take your expectations off of God? You know what the result is when you realize that God is truly uncontainable? Watch this. When we remove our expectations of God, he removes the limitations on us. When we take our expectations off of God, the natural result is God says, watch, now that you've taken me out of your box and you recognize that I'm uncontainable, watch what I can do in you. 
Watch what I can blow your mind with. See, many of us see Christianity. Some of you are held up from following Christ, from being a Christian, because you perceive it as a limiting factor. You see it as all about limits. You think about what you can and can't do. Well, I would follow Jesus, but it means I have to quit all this stuff. I have to stop doing this. I have to stop behaving in this way. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I love the language because it's so British. He says, and I don't have the accent. I wish I did. But he said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels. So he says, if you think about what Jesus offered as the good life in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. See, many of you grew up in traditional church settings that said, just stifle your desires. Just shut down all the longings you have. Don't be too passionate. Be good, be righteous, be moral. Believe in God, follow those things. Get rid of the bad stuff in your life. C.S. Lewis, it would see, he says, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about, watch this, with drink and sex and ambition when we've been offered infinite joy. Friends, do you know how many people come to me and say, I got a problem. I got a problem with addiction. I got a problem with sex. I got a problem with, with all this ambition and selfishness and greed. And I've got, I got all this stuff and all these limiting my desires. I just don't know how to get rid of it. And C.S. Lewis said, you've been offered infinite joy. You've just got the wrong desires. Take the strength of your desires and put them towards the good. And then he closes. He says, we're like an ignorant child. And I love this. Who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea? We are far too easily pleased. What if we took the limits off of God and we redirected our desires to an uncontainable God? I'm going to ask the band to come, and I'm going to say this. Christians, if you're a follower of Christ in the room, listen, don't miss this. There's going to be movement happening. Just pay attention for just a second. If you're a follower of Christ, what if God is more than you've allowed him to be? What if God wants to do immeasurably more than you've ever imagined? What if you've been afraid to pray for miracles that God's waiting for you to pray for just so he can show up and show you what he wants to do? What if God isn't looking at you going, hey, just tone your life down, just try to get through it all, just try to, try to survive, work, I know you hate it, but just, just gang in there, you got to pay the bills. Like just, what if God says, no, I don't want you to live with survival, I want you to live into the destiny, the creativity, the imagination that I've painted for you because there's so much good and you're missing it. What if there are appointments set up for you this week that God wants you to interact with someone who's broken in need of healing, in need of grace, and you've just been waiting, you've been missing it because you're afraid that God is limited in those ways. Christians, what if we took the limits off of God? And then let me say this. With all compassion, with all grace here, if you're here and you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and you would go back to those boxes. God doesn't exist. God doesn't love. God isn't active because he let me down. He didn't show up. Too many people hurt me. What if I hope you'll imagine this with me. What if God didn't cause the hurt? But what if God is right there hurting for you? What if God is right in the midst of your pain? What if he's longing to heal and all that it requires is taking him out of the box? What if he's longing to restore the parts of your life, longing to rebuild? I wonder if today that you might have the courage to say, God, I'll, I'll just trust that what if to give it one more chance and take you out of the box.